and welcome to another episode of Freewheeling. I'm Abby Mickey, and I'm your host. And I'm Kaylee Fritz, and I'm not your host. And we're here to talk about super exciting bike topics. So many bike topics. Yeah. Uh, today, Abby, I think you wanted, you had some questions. Yeah, some I just, questions. I know nothing about gear ratios. Hmm. What, what specifically would you like to know? What they are? <laughs> So, uh, if you think about it this way, so you know, every single time you rotate your pedals, you're going to go a certain amount forward, right? I mean, that's the sort of the beauty of the bicycle and the fact that you can, uh, it, 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 it multiplies your effort and it takes, you know, one pedal stroke and all of a sudden you've gone forward X amount. That's essentially, you know, that's your gears, right? And so if you are in a low gear, you don't go as far per pedal stroke. And if you're in a high gear, you go farther per pedal stroke. So, you know, a kind of standard uh, gear setup on a road bike, for example, is maybe you end up with a 39 in the front and a 53 in the front. That's like a standard. That's probably what you have. And then in the back, like an 1125, 1128 is now increasingly popular because 11 speed, you have room for 1128. You have plenty of room. Uh, you, you don't you, you don't have to have these big gear sw- like jumps in between gears with a, with an 11 speed and 1128. Maybe you want to run a 3652 or even a 3450 or even these days if you're talking gravel maybe like a 3046 something like that. It's oh my god, Keely is so boring. Ring, but the small ring How awesome really would it be small. if I could so just do a podcast about Taylor Swift? We're back for another episode of the Cornelia Street Podcast, and I'm your host, Abby Mickey. We are all gathered here today to discuss Taylor Swift, so we should start by introducing ourselves. Neil, do you want to give us a background on why you're here and how music is part of your life? Oh, geez, how much time do you have? Uh, (laughs) When I was six years old, my dad gave me an AM, FM radio for Christmas. Uh, I don't really think he knew what he was getting himself into. Uh, But back when I lived in San Diego, there was this radio station, AM station called the Mighty 690. And uh, that was where they played all the, all the, you know, popular rock songs at the time. So this would have been like 1979, I remember. And it was like Billy Joel and Van Halen and Michael Jackson and Elton John. And I used to just sit in my room and listen to that little radio every night after uh, I would be, you know, put to bed or brush my teeth and go to bed. And uh, that was the beginning of it. And I just, I think ever since, I mean, I think I probably had like some kind of, band or singer or rock and roll imagery on the wall in the house that I lived in ever since. Um, even to this day, I'm in my office right now and I'm looking, I've got the clash and the replacements and the Beatles and LCD sound system and Ava brothers, all, uh, you know, artwork framed. Um, yeah. And I was, uh, I was got into journalism in college and I was the music editor for the fish rap, which was the UC Santa Cruz campus newspaper for one year, and then I did some freelance music journalism for a few years after that. Matt, what's your experience in in music? And Kaylee told me that on the music Slack group, you kind of do music reviews sometimes. Yeah, so I guess music plays a pretty big part in daily life for, for all of us, I guess. But, you know, at work, we're always listening to music, and Ian and I sit next to each other in the office, and we're, you know, trade album uh, recommendations back and forth all the time and that sort of expanded to both of us writing short reviews in slack both for uh, just for ourselves and for the rest of the team but then also for um, our velo club uh, members on the velo club slack 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that, yeah, it's just a, 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 I guess, a daily habit is listen to different stuff and talking about that. And going back, I you know I've had music around the house growing up all the time. I learned to play piano from when I was six through to thirteen. Uh, taught myself to play guitar in high school, and then sort of dabbled in a few other instruments when my brothers were learning drums and bass. And so I've kind of played music on and off uh, since I was a kid and uh, yeah, got into, I was a big Elton John fan as well, like Neil mentioned and Billy Joel and used to love the, a lot of 70s stuff, got into the Beatles. Um, I'd like to think of myself as having quite an eclectic taste in music, listen to a lot of stuff from a lot of different genres. Um, but yeah, it's just been a, music's been a constant, I guess, in my life and I love listening to it and love talking about it as Ian will attest. Well, as as a as a person, uh, I've I've sort of been around music as similar to Matt. I've I've been around music for most of my life. I played a number of different instruments during high school. Went to a, a music oriented high school um, where I got pretty good at the sexiest of all instruments, the bassoon, and <laughs> uh, and then during university played that for a little bit. Um, my first ever published piece of journalism was a, an interview with a Danish prog band called Mew uh, at, at university. And then I, I did my honours thesis in world music, kind of, which was a, a good excuse to go and see a lot of, a lot of gigs and write things about them. So um, after I finished uni, I had a, a fairly ill-fated musicology blog, which I'm not sure still exists uh as i was trying to break into into writing as a a full-time gig and here i am um in terms of my my taste like it's similar to matt pretty eclectic um a lot of what i listen to is stuff that works well to write to so there's a lot of uh, black metal um experimental electronica and that kind of stuff in there but my artists that i i really love i i have a, a soft spot for alt country kind of things and a lot of indie stuff from when I was a little bit younger. Um, and I, I think Taylor Swift kind of fits in there because she, uh, dabbles in so many of these different spaces, not so much black metal. <laughs> that would be amazing. I would, I would <laughs> love to hear a Taylor Swift black metal album. That'd be amazing. <laughs> she's made, a, she's made huge leaps and bounds since Taylor Swift, the self-titled album to where she is now. So yeah, maybe that's next. Um, I guess I can kind of give a little bit, bit of a background. I hadn't even really thought about this until we were talking about it right now, but I actually went to a private art school um, all through middle school and elementary school and was in a band, the lead singer of a band, and played guitar and piano and a couple other instruments poorly. But yeah, I like the Beatles too. They're great. Ian hates the Beatles. Ask Ian why he hates the Beatles. Ian, why do you hate the Beatles? I don't hate the Beatles. <laughs> I, I, I sort of uh, didn't really... I wasn't exposed to those kind of um, classic sort of rock musicians when I was growing up, really. Uh, we were more of a classical and world music kind of household rather than rock. So I, I never really experienced the Beatles uh, and fell in love with Elliot Smith. And everyone was like, oh, he sounds like the Beatles. And then I listened to the Beatles and I was like, yeah, Elliot Smith's better. That is a massive call. I think we need a separate podcast on this topic. Yeah. (laughs) So let's, yeah, we can kind of stick to the topic at hand, which is the artist of the decade herself. So, um, artist of the decade. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she won the artist of the decade. 
Oh, like, right. Okay. A week ago. Yeah. In an official sense rather than a sort of emotional sense. But cool. at the like American Music Awards, so I don't know if it's, I don't, yeah, it's like the artist of the decade in America. But I mean, who's going to dispute it? Who who else would be the artist of the past decade? Let's just like real quick round table. Who, who else would even be in that conversation? Uh, uh, so yeah, Lady See? Gaga, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, but she's not really done anything in a while. I mean, she did like kind of go co-country a minute after that movie came out, but... She kind of like, I would say Taylor Swift should be the artist of the decade. She earned that title because she's so consistent in the amount of time in between each album and each album being such a hit. If you go by just the number of albums sold each time she releases one. I would make the argument for Taylor Swift as well, because I feel like particularly in the last decade, but certainly since kind of digital music and MP3s and everything um, in the Internet, music has just become more and more and more fragmented. And there's not that many artists that have mass appeal, you know, like everybody sort of has their subgenres they listen to. And there aren't like it's not like it was 25, 30 years ago where there's an artist that so many people can agree upon. But I feel like Taylor Swift, you know, her style of music reaches a huge, huge percentage uh, of the population, um, particularly with a country background. But I I just can't think of anybody else that really has that sort of appeal. Um, Yeah, I think in terms of broad appeal, I, I agree with you. I I think in terms of critical appeal, we could probably look to, you know, like Kendrick Lamar or, or someone like that, who uh, he, he has such a, a critical consensus behind him, which I don't think Taylor Swift necessarily does. But uh, yeah, there's there's a certainly a broad following there. Maybe the most relevant artist of the decade or the most widely followed. Although if you're going off of social media, we were discussing this the other night at dinner, Abby, doesn't... Um... God, I can't believe I'm forgetting her name. Katy Perry, doesn't she have a a larger social media following than Taylor Swift? Yeah, in theory, Katy Perry does have a larger... She, like, is, like, the queen of pop or something, but she's not put out music. She's not as consistent putting out music. I think that, yeah, Taylor Swift, the one thing about her is that not only does she consistently put out music, but she's also, in my opinion, and I think one of the reasons she's one of the biggest artists in the world is because... When she puts out an album, there's so many bops on the album versus other artists will put out albums and they'll just, you know, one or two songs that kind of go viral. And just to to clarify, by no means am I saying that the metric of of the artists of the decade should be social media followers. But just No, for sure. um, Well, but that is is the world we're living in. (laughs) (laughs) It is interesting, though, that those two are at the top of that list. I think you're right, Abby. You you go back and listen not only to you know her last couple albums, but all the way back, and it's so hard to find a bad song. There's there's a consistency across her albums that's yeah very very hard to find anywhere else. I think. And and I think a good place to start actually speaking of Ian and massive calls. Uh, this all started on Twitter, um, and it started around. Um, God, I'm forgetting the name of the song. Uh, on her new album me that we got in me yeah that's i don't remember what led to it but uh that's that's where it all kind of kicked off was ian saying great album terrible song and i sort of came to that song's defense it might not, it might be my least favorite song in the album but i i think it's such a good album that that i you know i'm able to kind of live with it but that that that's where it kicked off and uh and kind of went from there. 
True. I think there was like some back and forth on Twitter and basically how it got going was um, Ian said that, Ian allegedly said that me makes Lover a worse album. Um, and so we decided to have a podcast about it. Giving the people what they want. And then we want. got into what her best album is. Yeah. So Ian, why do you hate me? <laughs> well, okay. So, so me hating me is a hot take. I'm I'm gonna come up with an even hotter one, which is as I was going through her discography in preparation for this important podcast that the people are crying out for. I I came to the realization that I I don't just hate me, but I actually dislike a lot of the singles across the entire discography. Which, this is actually a thing that people do this all the time, complain all the time about how she, of all of the songs that she puts out as singles, she always puts out the worst songs on the albums as the singles before the album drops. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think that that's been the case on Red. It's been the case on 1989. It was definitely the case for Reputation. Uh, and it was the case for Lover. So I... I'd agree with that. I, I think they're kind of um, red herrings in the sense of what the overall albums will end up sounding like, and they're often the worst songs on those albums. Of all of the singles that she did put out for the Lover album, I would say like the two singles that she put out for the Lover album, Me and um, You, I don't even remember the second one, but I remember that... Uh, you Need to Calm Down was number You two. Need to Calm Down. I always forget the title of that one. I, like every single time I'm thinking about it, I'm like, man, it's it's exactly the same as the uh, her reputation, the two singles that she put out for that one. I can never remember what they're called, but... It's funny because it's like a thing, it's a thing on the internet, on like Tumblr and everything that all of her fans are always like, oh, Taylor did it again. She put out the worst songs as the singles. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good approach, <laughs> to be honest. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, no. I think that kind of... I mean, it, it sets the bar low, I guess. Yeah, Bright Eyes kind of did a similar thing. Like every every first song on a Bright Eyes album was always this like an ambient sort of excursion with spoken word and stuff before the album. Ugh. Sorry. Before the album proper began, there was always like this weird opening track on a Bright Eyes album to confuse and infuriate people, and I kind of feel like that's how uh, that's how Taylor Swift's singles are. You know, and the thing about it is, I mean, just just to find common ground here, I think "Me" is probably my least favorite song on the album. And that doesn't mean I, I don't like it. I just think it's really out of place. Like if you if you go track by track through Lover, it's actually a pretty mature and sometimes very serious album. And there's a song about her her mother having cancer. So um, you know it, it kind of juxtaposed against these like super poppy songs like Me and You Need to Calm Down. They just feel out of place. And there's 18 songs in the album. So if you pulled those two out, there would still be 16 songs. It'd still be a very full length album and more cohesive. Um, and I think that Taylor Swift is is a big enough artist that she could just release these as standalone singles, right? And get the video out there and perform them in concert, and they don't need to be packaged on her album. I don't, I don't, I don't have any idea how they impact album sales one way or another. Um, probably boost the sales, but yeah, as a piece of art, I don't feel like those songs really fit. But I also do. I feel like kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier about how everything you know, since music became digital and MP3s and like the album is a bit of a lost art form these days, right? It's sort yeah. of all about tracks. And 
there aren't that many albums I find myself listening to start to finish over and over and over like I used to when I was growing up. And this lover is an album that I do in 1989 is another that I, I just will just put on. And then when it's over, I just put it on again, just put it on again. And so I, I feel like there, I have to, there has to be a certain amount of like deference to the artist where if they've created something that you just want to play straight through over and over again, even if there's a track or two that you don't love, you sort of have to say, well, this was the artist's vision and I love the album, so I just have to sort of accept. It's like sort of like the same way with, you know, your significant other, right? Like you don't love every single thing about them, but you kind of have to accept their flaws because in the end, like that's the person you choose to be with. I don't know. I'm getting kind of meta here, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess I just, I feel like I love the album and the songs, these two pop songs might be a little bit out of place, but it's such a fantastic album that I, I, I just still see the glass so full that I, I don't really have a hard time with it. I agree. And I think like with Reputation also, when she came out with like, Look What You Made Me Do and Ready For It were the two singles that she dropped before. And there was a couple other ones, but those were like the two big ones with the music videos attached and everything. And then when the album came out, it wasn't as angry as the like, like the actual album has delicate, gorgeous, uh, king of my heart dress. Like there's songs on that album that aren't like angry at the world songs. I think overall, though, that that album does feel darker. Like, you're right, there are certainly softer songs there, particularly in the back half of the album. I think it it mellows out quite a bit. But if you listen to the first half, like, she is making quite a a statement there, I think, and it's quite, I don't know, quite brash and quite um, edgy, I think. Um, And, I mean, look what you made me do. Choosing that as the first single, I think, it's just an odd choice, I think, one of the weakest songs on the album but for me anyway i think uh ready for it is what's the first song on the album i think it's the best song on the album and as i was saying on twitter in in response to the discussion that kicked off this whole thing i think that is her best song since 1989 Um, that that is that is an outrageous statement (laughs) (laughs) that's the whole reason you got dragged into this that's right I mean, I've, yeah, no, I, I accept that people have different tastes and every opinion is valid, but that opinion isn't. <laughs> <laughs> every opinion except for that opinion. Very good. So, uh, th- okay, the reason I like it and the reason that I like Reputation over Lover, just for another uh, controversial statement. Also um, a big call. Yeah, also a big call. Um, I feel like it's her most creative album. I feel like it's the most, uh, the greatest departure from what she's done previously. And obviously this depends on how you feel about her previous stuff and whether you think she needed to change anything up. But as a creative statement, I think uh, changing things up in the way that she did on Reputation, um, I I found that very uh, satisfying. Uh, That direction was interesting, creative, at the same time, strangely more in line with what the rest of pop music is doing. You've got the trap beats, you've got the swelling kind of synths and stuff like that. And she, that album is more like everybody else and yet more different for her at the same time. Um, I find the edge to the whole thing uh, quite, um, what's the word? I guess refreshing. Abrasive. What's that? Oh, abrasive. abrasive. <laughs> yeah, ab- abrasive, but in a good way. Um but then she's still able to go and do the softer songs like Delicate uh, towards the end of the album where 
um, you know, it's still that nod to to what made her as popular as she is. I mean, I think for her topping 1989 would have been really, really hard unless she went a completely different direction. Yeah. Because that album was so good. I mean, we talked about discussing our favorite albums. That one is far and away my most favorite of all of her albums. I listened through all of them yesterday. And I just made like, I sent you guys a list of, because I was trying to pick my top five songs. And I was like, I can't possibly do this. <laughs> and I basically wrote down every single song on 1989. So I think going, transitioning from 1989 and everything that was going on basically in her personal life and having reputation come out the other side, is it was the strongest step she could have taken in her career to stay relevant, I think. And I think the the beautiful thing about it is, you know, when Reputation came out in the lead up to that, that, you know, she's obviously gone through a lot and her reputation got kind of dragged through the mud and there was the feuds with Kanye and Kim and Katy Perry and all this kind of stuff. And I feel like Reputation was her harnessing that negative energy that was, you know, thrown in her direction into this force of, you know, abrasion that that was kind of powerful. I, I appreciated the way that she was able to transform um, that emotion that was sent her way and turned into something that was creative and different and and quite effective, I thought. Yeah, and then she kind of, like like you said, the front half of Reputation is kind of more um, angry, a little bit more like out there, and then she kind of transitions through the album, and by the end of Reputation, you can already hear kind of what Lover became, which I don't think a lot of artists can do that. I mean, Taylor Swift is known for being really, really calculated about everything she does business-wise and everything she, all of the Easter eggs and stuff she puts in all of her music and she puts in all of her music videos and you can see how hard she thinks about her music in the way that it's laid out and the way that when you got to the end of Reputation and then start, if you just listen to it back to back and start listening to Lover, you're kind of like, oh, this like totally makes sense. Yeah, you're also disappointed when the album starts with Forgot You Existed because it's... Oh, come on. Okay, so uh, that was going to be my next comment was going to be the two the two singles she put out for Lover may not have been super great, but then the second you listen to the album and it's and it's that starts the album, you're like, oh man, she did it again. Really? I, I'm with Matt on this one. I, I think that, that that's not a good opener to that album. I, I, think, uh, I, think, I think Cruel Summer's a far better song and oh, should have been where the album started. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, you could get if you could get rid of me and you need to calm down. And I forgot that you existed in the album. Oh, and London, London boy, that needs to burn. London boy is not not super great. I I agree with that. Go either way on that. But like those those three songs I named definitely are out of place with the the theme of the album, mm. and especially yeah to open it. it it's yeah it's it's. I definitely start the album sometimes with Cool Summer. But I think that I think that I forgot that you existed was a good transition from reputation because reputation was just the theme of reputation going into I forgot that you existed. It was it kind of setting the stage for the whole new vibe she had going for the rest of Lover. If you see what I mean. Yeah, no, I, I follow that. You know, I'm gonna contradict what I was saying earlier. I mean I still love the album and, and track all the way through. I think it's a great album. Yeah. The, the songs we talked about uh, that, that sort of have a little bit of a red thumb feel to them. I don't think they're bad songs. I do think they feel out of place. But what really gets me is the second half of the album, I think, is where it's strongest. Um, 
you know, soon you'll get better and false God back to back to me is the, is sort of where it peaks. And then, you know, if, if you pull out, you need to calm down, you go straight into afterglow. If you pull out me, you go straight into it's nice to have a friend and then daylight. And what a strong finish that would be. And they all, every one of those songs would just flow perfectly into one another. And instead you, you kind of shift gears into these super poppy songs and then back into these really contemplative songs. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I, the soon you get better, I can't even really listen to because I don't think it's ever come on and I've not cried. I, I think the the brilliant thing about that song, and one of the brilliant things about her as a as a writer of lyrics, is just in her eye for those sort of specific details. Um, that's that's what makes the great Taylor Swift songs such great songs because they're they're not generic and they're not uh, not vague. They're they're like these crystal clear insights into a specific place or a specific time or um a moment for her a memory and i i think that that makes her song that elevates her songs into being so much more powerful than more generic pop and why so many people resonate with the music yeah 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 and i think that also plays into the artist of the decade discussion i mean you know a lot of people who maybe don't listen to taylor swift's music or just associate her as being a pop star but how many sort of mega pop stars write their own lyrics write their own music perform on piano perform perform on guitar right i mean we mentioned katy perry and i'm just going to use her as an example i don't know much about katy perry but i don't believe she plays any instruments i could be 100 percent wrong on that um, I, I can't think of any times that I've seen her playing instruments and I don't know offhand like what role she plays in writing her lyrics or writing her music but you know Taylor Swift um, can can take a guitar and a piano and go up on stage and perform all of her music on her own uh, and you know and, and the lyrics I don't know that she writes all of her lyrics but she definitely she is the songwriter of her of her lyrics and so it's it's a much more complete package than I think a lot of people give her credit for I agree. I mean, I think that she, um, there's not a lot of artists out there that can kind of, so she put out Lover and there's a lot of, there's a lot going on on the album as far as um, edits of the songs and stuff. But then she plays some of the songs at the the NPR Tiny Desk that she did. And oh my gosh, those, her just sitting there with the guitar, the piano, she was incredible. Katy Perry does play guitar. I just looked it up. I stand corrected. She plays guitar. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. I didn't either. Yeah, that tiny desk is great. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. All Too Well is a highlight from that, I think. Oh, All Too Well is a whole cult following around All Too Well. So I guess, actually, um, I want to know which songs of Taylor's are your favorite songs and, and kind of, in general, what your favorite album is, quickly. Oof. (laughs) At the moment, Lover is my favorite album, but I think that's because I've listened to 1989 so many times. Um, and you know, back to the whole songwriting thing, I actually, I came to appreciate Taylor Swift relatively recently, and it was originally through the Ryan Adams cover of 1989, which is fantastic and very different than her album. Um, and I read an interview with him where he talked about the, his reasoning for doing that cover album was because the songwriting was so strong. And so then I went and listened to her original, and, and he, it's absolutely true. I mean, the songwriting is fantastic, and it, it works whether it's you know moody and, and um, contemplative or whether it's more poppy. Um, 
And so, you know, I think 1989 is her strongest, but I've been listening to Lover nonstop since it came out and I'm not tired of it at all. Um, and I'm with you actually, uh, Abby, the, the first time I really sat down and listened to the lyrics of Soon You'll Get Better, I got a little choked up. I started, you know, it's a song about her mom having cancer and I started actually thinking about my wife and my daughter and their relationship and just what that would be like to, to, to face the prospect of, you know, losing your mother and, and um, you know, somebody so inter- integral in your life and, it, and it's, it's heavy and it's, she, she does it so artfully. So I think that 1989 is my favorite album. Right now, Lover's my favorite album. I think 1989 is <laughs> a better album, but I, and I think that Soon You'll Get Better is probably the song that, that just kind of hits me in the feels every time. And that's her second, her second song about her mother because on one of her earlier albums, she has The Best Day and that song is about like, her getting bullied in school and her mom picking her up from school and taking her shopping. And that song also is like, she's just, yeah, she's so good at just hitting everyone in the feels. I feel like Ian, what's your favorite album and a, a song or two that sticks out? Our favorite album is red. I think that red is an amazing album. And I think partially the sound kind of resonates to me because it's got that transitional um, sound between being, uh, alt country ish, um, as as Neil said, um, Neil mentioned Ryan Adams, and Ryan Adams was a, a big artist for me growing up, and I, I hear echoes of that kind of sound in a lot of the songs on that album. Um, although although we don't really talk about Ryan Adams now, uh, <laughs> after after what he did, but um, the the sound of Red is is really powerful for me. Uh, I think All Too Well is the quintessential Taylor Swift song. That That is an almost perfect song. That's just a, an incredible song. Um, second favourite album is a tie between 19, 1989 and Speak Now. Uh, so so Lover is barely scraping onto the podium. Mm. Good album. But yeah, I, I think that Speak Now and 1989 are, are both so consistent. And Speak Now was... Um was really interesting because that was the first one where because everyone after fearless was saying she didn't write her own songs and then she she wrote speak now but all by herself because she was like look i write my own song and that that album has such an incredible strike rate there's there's a few darts but on the whole it's just banger after banger yep i would agree with that dear john is an absolute banger from that album i love that song so much um i'm uh, yeah, I'm with Ian. I, I've got red at the top. Um, I think, yeah, we talked before about consistency. I think that album is just very, very strong all the way through. And I love that um, that crossover that's happening in red where it's she's going from that country pop through to more modern synth-based pop. Um, I think, yeah, the songs in there are just great. I think there are some really strong moments that um, talk about or the kind of indicate where she's going. So that dubstep like drop on I Knew You Were Trouble, I think signals what's to come. And I really like that. Um, I think like We Never Ever Getting Back Together is very strong in that same way. It's more of a nod to what's to come. And I, I like that moment uh, in, in her career. I've got Reputation second um, ahead of 1989. 
uh i again i feel reputation's got more life to it i feel it's got a better energy to it it makes uh, i'd much rather listen to that straight through i find the production on 1989 to be a little bit dull um the songs are good but it doesn't have the same sparkle and the same life to it that i feel red and reputation do i've got lover fearless and speak now very close together at the next three i'm not quite sure which is which 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 order they would go in and then her, her debut album is, is the last one. But just a point on that, I think, you know, I went back, like you guys didn't listen to all seven of her albums in the last week or so. And I hadn't heard her debut before that. It's remarkable how good she was, how early. Like she was, mm-hmm. what, 16 when that came out, wrote the songs when she was 15. Um, she was writing incredible stuff so young. And, and that album is incredibly strong for somebody that age and, and holds up even now, I think. So... Even though it's the the least strong of the seven, I still think it's a pretty amazing piece of work. Do you have any songs in general that kind of pop out at you over all of the albums? I've got a list of about 30 here across the... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I mentioned Dear John before from Speak Now. When I heard that, that was kind of arresting. I kind of put down what I was doing. I was like, whoa, okay, I need to look up the lyrics for this and kind of have a closer look. Um, all Too Well is great. Um, and again, ready for it. I, I know that's controversial. I know people really don't like that song, but uh, there's something about the way that that song opens the album and, and the tone that it sets. And uh, yeah, that that to me is the one Taylor Swift song that when it comes on, I will always turn turn it up. And um, yeah, that's probably my favorite song of hers. I think ready for it is better than look what you made me do. Oh, I think yeah, it's not particularly close either. Huge. Gap. It's not particularly hard for a song to be better than "Look What Made Look What You Made Me Do." Either. <laughs> well, is is me better or worse than "Look What You Made Me Do"? I mean, we're comparing two uh, two bad apples and oranges. I think they're both rotten. <laughs> I think me is better. Just a quick thing oh, on me. Did you guys know that they edited the song for the album version? Yeah, yeah they got rid of say, the spelling no. is fun. Yeah, yeah they, they took, pulled that line. I thought I okay, had a wait, cool but, tidbit there, but everyone knew that, damn. Abby, <laughs> I want to hear yours, but I just want to interject for a second and ask, Ian, if Me was a standalone single and not on the album, do you think you would like it more? I, uh, yeah, probably. Like, I I just find that it ruins the album. Well, it doesn't ruin the album. Like, the album's still great, but I, I think it detracts from the album, but if it was a standalone song, I, I'd like it more in the sense that I don't have that negative emotional baggage associated with it, but I don't think that I'd like it. Um, I, I, I think you wouldn't have heard it as much, and therefore you might like it more because it wouldn't uh, be the same. I way. don't know. Like I, I, I think as a sort of personal anecdote around that song, um, I have a, a three-year-old daughter who's starting to get into music and has really good taste in a lot of things. Like really enjoys the mountain goats, likes it when I put on doom metal, but she loves that song by Taylor Swift. And, uh, the number of times she's like, I want to hear E E E. And then we have to listen to me over and over again. Uh, I, I I'm sort of fatigued by that song, not by her. <laughs> that's, that, that's interesting because my three-year-old daughter is much more partial to you need to calm down than to me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Maybe um, we should have got Iris and Grace on the podcast. They can give us their 
We totally should have. We can get them on the the when this comes out and everybody's like screaming for more because it's too short, then we can you know get some more opinions, <laughs> including Kaylee. So Abby, we need to hear your favorite album and song. Yeah, so songs. I already um, kind of said that 1989 is by far my favorite album, and I think that um, like with a lot of music, the reason that I love it so much is because of when it came out and the place in my life I was when it came out and the way it resonated with me then and how even now when I listen to it, I'm kind of taken back. Um, so I think that's why it means so much to me in general, that album. Um, second is Red, third, Speak Now, and then like shockingly Lover is still fourth, even though I, I absolutely love the album. Like you, Neil, I've like listened to Lover over and over and over right now, but I still wouldn't rate it my top three favorite Taylor Swift albums. I think I kind of want to amend my song choice or add to to that list. Um, Go for so it. So I, I mentioned soon you'll get better, but actually, False God is is the standout track. Uh, yeah, on Lover and when she performed that live on SNL, it was it amazing. Was, oh. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, that performance really opened my eyes. I'd probably listened to the album 50 times, but you see that performance and it just it gives you an, an, a whole new appreciation for it. Um, Soon You Got Better is the one that, yeah, there's no other track on the album that actually like made me choke up. But False God is the one that I, I just feel like it's, it's, a, it's pretty close to perfect. Um, so and those two are back to back, as I mentioned earlier. So that's that's the highlight of the album for me. But also um, Wildest Dreams on 1989 is... Uh, it's fantastic. I mean, that, to me, that's uh, I, that song just takes you somewhere. Um, you kind of don't want it to end. So, yeah. Abby, I thought you made a really good point about why 1989 resonates with you so much. The fact that it does tie into a period of your life, and there is a, probably nostalgia attached to that, or yeah, it has a resonance beyond just the songs on there. And I think that's that's such an important part of how we view music you know what was going on at the time of your life when did you hear it why did you hear it who introduced you to the songs you know do the lyrics talk to you um, and I think you know just for me I like Neil I guess I came to Taylor Swift's stuff later on I'd heard the stuff on, on radio but it was quite recently that I went back and listened to stuff more seriously and I think having been removed from all that and not having been on that journey at the time when stuff came out it gave me a different perspective than a lot of people and i think um maybe that's why i ended up with i don't know a different view on things like reputation where you know i didn't listen to stuff when it came out but but this coming to it later on it it just stood out to me as something different and um i think that's a very important part is is how stuff resonates to you uh, at the time and what's going on yeah, it was one of the reasons that I was so excited that the three of you kind of had an opinion on Taylor Swift and would take the time to talk to me about it. Because for me, every single album she put out, when she put the album out, it resonated with me so much. Like she's, she put out Lover is the one that's right now. And when she put it out, like literally in, in the same span of like a month that she released Lover, I got engaged. So it kind of like, it's... I feel like my life parallels Taylor Swift a lot. So, <laughs> and I think that a lot of teenage girls who listen to her debut album and have been fans ever since and kind of totally. have maybe gone through the same life changes at the same time, because at the end of the day, we're all just humans and we go through a lot of the same crap, just in a different color. Yeah. But that's why I was like so excited that you guys had opinions. Cause I think, 
because I thought that they would be a lot different than mine and um, would lead to a good discussion. I think, you know, interesting side note on that, you know, Lover, my daughter's three and a half now, and Lover's the first piece of music that we've listened to in the house where I've thought, I hope that she remembers this. Like, I hope that this album somehow plants itself into her memory. And when she's older, she thinks, oh, my parents used to play Lover around the house when I was a kid. That's one of my earliest memories. She's probably a little too young for that, but... And, you know, the message of some of the songs, I mean, I, I read a review that was critical of the lyrics for The Man, but I actually uh, disagree with that. I think the lyrics are, are, are fantastic in their simplicity and, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the feminist or equal rights message, uh, whatever you want to call it, is, you know, when you, when you have a little girl, you, you want them very much to, to, to feel that they can do anything they want. And so, you know, to have that message kind of pumping through the speakers, um, that's that, that. That's where I'm at in my life, you know, where I, I want the music to, to. I don't want to just enjoy it, but I, you know, hopefully, kind of shape, shape my daughter as well. That's awesome. I love that. Hilariously, the day that I decided to retire from cycling was the man was stuck in my head, and I was riding laps around uh, the Colorado Classic course in um, in Eagle, and the lyric i'm so sick of running as fast as i can was just playing over and over and over in my head and i was like i can't do this anymore (laughs) side note my favorite songs just so it's out there in the internet i really long live is my favorite song to the point where i have it tattooed on my body and um yeah i'm serious about taylor swift and (laughs) um everything has changed is my absolute hands down favorite taylor swift song with featuring ed sheeran I love that song. I don't really have like a <laughs> like a solid reason for loving that song as much as I do, but um, I've been begging Tom's for months that it can be our first dance because <laughs> I'm like he's like it doesn't make it, it doesn't we can't dance to that it doesn't flow and I'm like no it has to be because it's just <laughs> this song, <laughs> but but yeah, cool. You know on the on the note of. The, an album taking you back to a certain time in your life and what that meant to you at that time. Um, I've got Wikipedia open for the 1989 album because I was looking at the track list and they, there's a little blurb about Ryan Adams' cover and uh, he, he listened to the album it, when it came out in 2014. Uh, to, he was coping with a, his marriage ending. And yeah, I, I know that Ryan Adams is problematic for a lot of reasons, but it was just an interesting sentence here that he said he found it to be a very joyful record and it helped him through a hard time. And that was what began his relationship with the album that resulted in him recording a cover of the entire album. So, uh, you know, even other musicians um, flock to, to her music and it can help them through a difficult time, just like anybody else. I think like just kind of what we've talked about already, just like music in general, it's so amazing how music can span so many different people with so many different interests and so many, so such different upbringings and everything and different lives in general. And people who are so different can all resonate with the same song. And it's just really cool. And, and it's why she's artist of the decade, just in general, not specifically Taylor Swift, but also, also Taylor Swift. Yeah, you know, Abby, you and I were talking about this uh, the other night when I I tweeted something when that Lover came out about what a great album it is. Um, and on there was a fair bit of pushback on Twitter from people, you know, like, oh my God, I can't believe you like Taylor Swift or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I would just reply back, have you listened to it? 
Yeah, I think that people like they hear Taylor Swift and they they think, oh, Taylor Swift, like blonde, like tall girl who's like looks like a Victoria's Secret model and is like loves cats. No, I'm not going to listen to that. And then when you kind of actually listen to her music, it's I mean, Tom's was the same way when I when we first met and he was like your only bad quality is that you're obsessed with Taylor Swift and we I made him listen to Taylor Swift and when we went to see the Reputation Stadium tour he was singing along to every single song <laughs> um and decided that his favorite song was Don't Blame Me from Reputation um like his favorite song of all the Taylor Swift songs so Matt you're not the only one whose favorite song is a uh, is on Reputation <laughs> Yeah I was thinking about that when when Matt was talking about how even at age 15, you know, you could see her talent and her potential and her songwriting and how, I mean, she's one of the most successful recording artists alive, but how, you know, there is probably a subset of people who have just written her off because of her beauty, um, because she's, you know, she's a woman and she's a beautiful woman and she writes pop music and therefore they just they don't even give it a chance. And not everybody's going to like the same kind of music, but um, that it just it was kind of it just caught me by surprise a bit uh, that, you know, that was the reaction of so many people. And there were people I said, have you listened to it? And they said, no, and I never will. And, it, you know, where do you go in a conversation with somebody when, when that's, that's their attitude is, no, I haven't. I know I don't like it. I haven't heard it and I will never listen to it. Well, okay. I guess this conversation is over. You know? I think there's a perception that when your exposure to an artist is just through their hits being played over and over and over on radio, that, this kind of a shallowness there that they're just churning out radio hits. But I think, yeah, as we all know, and as anyone who's dug a little deeper will know, there is a real depth to what Taylor Swift does. And, you know, we talked about her songwriting from early on that there is a depth and a maturity and a, just a quality to her songwriting that really elevates her beyond just about anyone. I think. It's kind of a like classic case of don't judge a book by its cover of how, yeah, how deep she is in the, her depth of music and yeah. You know, bringing it back full circle, I think in, in the defense of some of those people, if all you had heard is me and you need to calm down, yeah. you might say, I've heard enough to know that I, that's not for me. Fair. And those, those songs don't represent lover. And yeah, look what you made me do. doesn't really represent reputation. So you know, it is it is the interesting the sort of like the the single slash video choice um, might have that mass appeal, but might also alienate other people, and they don't always really represent what what the whole body of work is about. Yeah, and we could probably go on and on forever about um, like all of the different songs and and how her writing and when she collaborates with other people and everything having to do with her music, but. Um, this was, this was really great. Okay. So who, for the next music podcast, which artist will we be, uh, Oh, can we do like a, a monthly round table? <laughs> <laughs> we totally could. That'd be awesome. I'm going to have to really branch out of my music tastes cause I'm not going to lie. I pretty much exclusively listen to Taylor Swift and Ed Sheeran. Although I would gladly listen to other stuff. I just don't know where to start. So. All right. We can make some recommendations there, but you have to check out uh, our Slack channels. Yeah, I definitely will. That'd be awesome. Tom's will be so thrilled. <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like Matt and Ian and I had a uh, 
a lively debate about the best national album a while back, whether it was High Violet or Trouble Will Find Me. Was that what it was? I wasn't involved in that because I don't think the national are that good. So, um. <laughs> was that Ian? Was that you and me, or did I imagine that? No, no, no. That's uh, that that rings a bell. Yeah, I okay. I think High Violet, but. It, we're going off on a tangent within next the tangent time. in next a tangent time. of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, thank you guys so much for joining me. It's been awesome. And uh, hopefully people actually make it through this whole episode. Because, I mean, I think it's quite good. Phil <laughs> Guyman, you're welcome. Now on mountain bikes, totally separate. So most mountain bikes these days are going to run a one by uh, maybe like a 32, 32, 34 in the front. And then you got these big old gears in the back. You get SRAM Eagle that goes 10 all the way up to 50 or 51 even. Abby. Abby. What? Sorry. I feel like you weren't paying attention. No, I'm, I'm any paying attention. I'm definitely paying attention. I'm sorry. I'm definitely paying attention. Um, uh, standard crank. Yeah. Yeah. That was half an hour ago. No, sorry. Um, honestly, I regret asking. Abby, I feel like you were just thinking about something totally different the entire time I was explaining all these gear ratio stuff to you. I don't really understand why. I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm a little sad that you didn't want to learn about gear ratios. I was thinking about Taylor Swift. I could tell. Yeah, sorry. You were, you were humming the whole sorry, time. Sorry, so wait, start from the beginning. Yeah. I'm paying attention this time. Ha <laughs> <laughs>